Just like the days of old Only with coffee, not cereal Time to reminisce, time to rewind With the crew behind Favorite Saturday morning pajamas Hello and welcome. Pour yourself a bowl of cereal, grab a spot on the couch, and join us in our Saturday morning pajamas. I'm your host, Jax, and welcome to another wonderful episode of Saturday Morning Pajamas, a pop culture podcast where we discuss movies, TV shows, and whatever else strikes our fancy. We just may be joined by a guest host or two today, so stay tuned to find out. Now, before we get going, we're going to hear a few words from some friends, maybe some sponsors, some fellow podcasters, what have you. So let's all give them a little listen before we get on with the show. Do you ever wonder when Spider-Man goes to the bathroom if the toilet paper sticks to his fingers? Do you ever wonder why Superman wears his underwear outside of his pants? My name is Imran. My name is Anthony. He's the jock! And he's the nerd. And we're your hosts for the Jock and Nerd podcast where we sometimes try to attempt to answer these questions. This is a full spoiler podcast, and we swear a lot. Check it out for awesome geek news, interviews, and comic book reviews. Visit jockandnerd.com. We are your superhero TV, movies, and comic book culture curators. Boom. Jockandnerd.com. Jockandnerd! Hello, this is Jax, and I'm here today with... I'm Dew from bloody-mess.net. And we're here today to talk about another cinematic masterpiece, uh, this time from Dew's childhood and one which I recently saw for the first time. We're talking about 1987's The Gate. Dew, would you like to tell a little bit about this movie? Uh, Sure. Okay, so The Gate, uh, again, is a 1987 release. Um, It is a horror film aimed predominantly at a younger set because we do have a young protagonist. Uh, The main character is Glenn, uh, played by a very young baby Stephen Dorff, I'd say maybe 11 or 12. Um, And the story basically follows uh, him and a friend accidentally opening the, you know, the uh, the gate from the title, a kind of portal to hell and releasing, you know, old, almost Lovecraftian god creatures while alone um at home on a weekend with his sister um yep and you know that's that's the nutshell of the plot yeah so you know nothing bad's gonna happen at all of course not um and i would uh preface this by saying that this is uh basically one horror movie I recall from my childhood that literally scared the hell out of me. I mean, this is the one that for years I wouldn't watch because it frightened me so badly, Um, which I question even now having watched it again recently. Um, I'm not, you know, shaking my boots here, but um, this is 87. So, you know, hit VHS, probably 88. By this time I have, you know, seen uh, a couple iterations of Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Fright Night, you know, uh, Salem's Lot, a whole, the whole gamut of adult aimed horror films, but this is the one that got. Watching this, she had told me that beforehand and I'm watching it going, well, okay, she was younger maybe, but then it got about two thirds of the way through and they did a lot of really good practical and stop motion effects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And some of these I'm going, okay, this might be the scene that caused nightmares here. Well, in, in, in thinking back on it, I think it, it was very aimed at, at things that would frighten kids. And, and I'll go into that more as we go on. But uh, would you like to delve more into the plot? Sure. Let's go a little more into the plots. Um, so, as we said, there's these two kids, Glenn and Terry. And they're left to their own devices a lot. 
because that's what every movie and TV show does. Of course, you know, let the kids run wild, get into trouble, summon demons, that kind of thing. You know, your basic 80s childhood. Yeah, though, of course, I prefer that to helicopter parents of today. Honestly. I think the kids were safer with the demons sometimes. <laughs> like, oh, sweetie, you get a participation trophy for summoning that elder god from our backyard. Hmm. No, my sweetie did not summon the devil. He summoned this nice man here. What was your name? Cthulhu? <laughs> Um, I will say the opening scene and in parts of this I noticed are, are heavily reminiscent of uh, Poltergeist, which was an 82 film, um, the original, of course. Um, so we open and we have Glenn, you know, on his bike going through his neighborhood. Um, it, I mean, it's almost cut. Obviously, in the Poltergeist film, it's an older man on a bike, but it just that's the, really struck me because it's that kind of planned housing community look that you saw in Poltergeist. It was like a main plot point there. Um, so we see him going through his bike on this seemingly idyllic um, planned community, you know, those nice suburban cookie cutter houses that still freak me out. Um, and then we have this focus on the tree in his backyard, um, which is another uh, plot point from the original Poltergeist, the older, uh, well, the middle-aged bro brother there, well, not middle-aged, uh, you know, middle, middle between child. Carol Ann and this, you know, this shrieking sister um was focused, yes was was focused on uh this creepy tree in his backyard and we do see that kind of i don't know if it was a nod to it or just like you know they drew some inspiration from it but it really struck me um so we open in glenn you know he you know and that's so 80s too glenn the name for a little boy that was also the name of johnny depp's character in the original nightmare on elm street who would name their kid that now nobody we'd have you know the gate starting starring aiden caden brayden and nevaeh um so anyway we have glenn on his bike and he he goes to his home and finds it abandoned his sister's not there his parents aren't there everything's a little creepy um it becomes clear that this isn't really when we kind of switch to night and day and he's looking at this tree in his backyard that's clearly been there for a while. It has a tree house and it gets struck by lightning and it opens up this, this hole in the ground. And then of course what happens, Glenn wakes up in his bed. This is just a dream, but he wakes up to seeing the tree actually being removed in his backyard. And it makes you wonder if this is, you know, meant to be kind of a prophetic dream for him because things that he does dream about end up coming back. The main one being the tree coming down in the in the, the hole appearing. But then you do see on the tree there is that mark from lightning that took it down. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's more of like, okay, did all of that, did any of that really happen? Because some mm -hmm. of it did. So it gives you that like um, that sense that something's not right here and makes you question what else goes on throughout the film. That little bit of uncanniness where something is, it looks normal, but it's just not right. Yes. And then as they're yanking this tree out of the ground, these uh, construction workers, a geode falls out of the roots and breaks open, uh, which, you know, any kid would find really interesting. If you're not familiar, a geode is basically, looks like a normal rock, but when it breaks open, you see um, a crystalline structure inside, usually very colorful. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, I always think that it's going to be purple inside, but it's, it's actually quite cool. So what does Glenn do but get his bestie Terry over? And Terry is kind of the foil to Glenn. Glenn is um, portrayed as a very kind of sweet kid. Do you agree with that, Jax, that he's sort of like the nice one? Yeah, he's the... Um 
the naive one, the um, the he would be the virgin if you were talking about yeah, the older yeah. teenagers. Yeah, he is that very. Um, I can't think of the right word, but he is innocent. The one who, yes, there we go, innocent. And and then Terry is a little shit. He's jaded. Well, no, he's he's a little shit. Come on. Um, we do find out why. I mean, it's not without reason. It goes more into his backstory. But he's kind of, you know, the kid is going to get Glenn in trouble. You yeah. know, you always see this, you know, you have your nice kid, and then your kid is going to get the nice kid in trouble, and they're besties, of course. It's like an early, um, what are their names? Um, God, what is the kids? Oh, Corey and, and Sean from Boy Meets World. Boy Meets World, only, you know, demons. Um yes. So Terry sees like a get rich quick thing because geodes are, um, at least in this time frame, I don't know if they're all that considered rare or pricey now. He thinks they can make money out of this. So they're going to, they're going to dig in the hole where the tree was, which you think Glenn would stop, you know, hmm. But then again, you have a kid around 11, 12 who's like knocking like, okay, I had a nightmare. That's it. I'm not going to dwell on it. We're going to dig. And as they're doing this, there's kind of a cave-in in the ground, and they do find this big rock that they assume is going to be a geode, but it's almost like a sinkhole effect where where the hole suddenly gets very, very deep, and I think there's kind of like a rush of air from there. Mm-hmm. So that should be, you know, a hint that something is not right. But what really struck me here is later we see Glenn, you know, having dinner with his parents, and... His father instructs him, fill in that hole. Now, it wouldn't take much to look at this hole and think, gee, that's kind of deep. Should I send my, you know, middle school age son out there with a shovel to fill it in? Or he might accidentally fall to his death or the ground around it might sink in or, you know, he might raise a demon. Remember, though, this is, this might still have been around the time, maybe a little past, though, when you're smoking a single cigarette. I'll make you smoke a whole box of them, a whole yeah. carton, until you'll learn. Yeah, the, the 80s were an interesting time for parenting. So we're looking at this from, you know, the viewpoint of, of people who lived through 80s parenting and 90s parenting and so forth. <laughs> yeah, and so on. And we know that, you know, kids today are more or less, you know, wrapped up in styrofoam just to leave the house. Yeah. Um, so from that perspective, it looks a little, huh. But, yeah, that kind of struck me. So let's talk about Terry, the the foil to Glenn's sweet kid here. Yeah, Terry, Terry has some family issues. Uh, unfortunately, his mother had passed away the year before, and his father. Well, we never meet his father, mm-hmm. but, we're, but we we do see his house, and it's it's filthy. The father doesn't keep up. The father goes on on his own. Um, I I, I get the feeling like his father's like an alcoholic or something. Just his father's just very absent. Either mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't tell if either his father just can't cope with the wife's death or thought the wife was going to be there to raise their kid and just took off mm-hmm. on his own and only thinks of himself. And in, in um, a result of that is we see Terry, who the mother consider Glenn's mother considers to be kind of acting out, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that comes like part of his character he has on this you know denim jacket with a metal band logo on the back and he you know glenn is his best friend but he makes up stories to scare the crap out of him you know that kind of thing so he is dealing with some issues at home 
and that's being reflected in his character. And what I, I liked about it, 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 it wasn't the almost um, sort of a char- character archetype of like the troubled kid. It, it seemed more realistic than you would see when it's like, oh, we want to have this kid and he's troubled in his home life, this crap and all that. Um, because he's, he's not a bad kid. And this is still his friend. He's just, you know, reacting to to what is happening to him and in his life. So it's not that kind of overblown stereotype. I think this was done really well. Yeah, and I have to agree. The they seem the kids seem a little bit more normal. Um, mm-hmm. This was more of a lower budget film, though, with all the practical effects and stop motion. Mm-hmm. A little bit hard to tell if. Um, just because that, that probably costs most of the budget, if not all of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they just—they weren't so wrapped up in projecting a studio's image of what these kids should be. Mm-hmm. They were reflecting more real kids. Mm-hmm. So the film goes on to do a really good build of suspense. Um, starting with the geode, you know, they have this larger rock that they're assuming is going to be a geode, which they eventually get to break open. And uh, with it, of course, you see the crystals inside, but there's also this like release of smoke and, you know, uh, uh, colorful lights flashing in, in the crystals inside, which because they're, you know, kids living in your normal suburban kind of gated community type place is very easy for them to write off. And uh, Terry's, oh, there's probably some, you know, compressed air when it was formed. You know, it's not something, ooh, spooky, weird. It's just a little odd. Um, What does seem strange, though, is the geode is sitting on top of uh, this children's toy, which is very, very 80s. And I actually had to look up the name for it because I've had these before, but I could not remember what they were called. It's called a magic slate. The one in the film actually is branded with Follow That Bird, a big bird movie from the mid 80s. Uh, Basically, it is um, a wooden board with two sheets of plastic on it, and it comes with a a plastic pen, which I guess nowadays we would call a stylus, and you could write and scribble whatever you want, then lift the top sheet and it would all disappear. So the geode cracks open on this and it, it creates some writing and some designs on it. Yes. Um, and of course, we all know the first rule, don't speak Latin in front of the books. Of course. So what do we do? We go, ac cuto alla iti, ete, something. Yeah, and of course, you know. <laughs> When you see strange words appearing on your magic slate, of course, read them out loud. You won't read the spelling words in school, but you'll read this. Okay. <laughs> so so from that, we know, okay, this isn't a normal geo. Something spooky happening here. And since it is the 80s, and it is a teenage girl at home alone with her little brother over a weekend, she has a party with a bunch of noisy, annoying teenagers who, after all of the, you know, fooling around and... I believe there was some drinking because there was talk about giving the dog a beer. Yeah. Um, like, where's the booze? Where's there all the your teenagers? Mm-hmm. Uh, and music, they kind of break, or, break off into this small, smaller group, and there's candles, and they're telling ghost stories, which, again, is a very 80s thing because I could not see this happening at a party today. No, um, we'd all sit, well, no, we'd sit down being creepypasta off our phone. Right. <laughs> if we'd even get to that. Right. Oh, Facebook, selfie. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hate children. So, <laughs> <laughs> children. 
Gee, I'm so surprised. Uh, so, so during this party, you have your token weird girl who convinces them to do a levitation experiment, which, of course, um, after a failed attempt on one of these, you know, big teenage boys, they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to use the kid now. So they try it on Glenn. And it works. And he's floating like three feet in the air and he knocks into a lighting fixture. And like, no one seems concerned by this. The older sister writes it off. He's freaked out. He wants to call his parents. She refuses. And that, of course, is, you know, an enduring theme here where Glenn wants to contact their parents and his older sister, who he calls Al, but she wants to be Alexandria now. Um, refuses to call them, doesn't want to get them involved because this is her first uh, weekend at home watching her little brother by herself. She wants to show her parents that she can be trusted mm-hmm. and more importantly, not get in trouble for the party. Mm-hmm. But it's just another little uh, uh, element of the suspense that's building. Um, so we have the levitation, the strange geode, Glenn's dream, and then the moths. So we see these moths come flying out of this hole. And Terry, because he is a little shit, collects them in a jar and is like, gee, I wonder how long it'll take for them to die. And Glenn's like, dude. Yeah. But still leaves them in the jar, and the jar is sitting in his bedroom, and they're making weird shapes on the wall, and it's freaking him out. So the moths are like adding to this aura of something fucked up is happening. And Glenn, see... Glenn is at that perfect age where you don't want to be like, you know, ooh, spooky, spooky, because everyone is going to think, oh, you're just a stupid little kid. But But at the same time, he's recognizing that something weird is going on. Yeah, he's like, telling that line with adolescence, like, okay, am I, can I handle this myself? Or no, we need to report this, but what are people going to think about me? He's just Mm -hmm. getting to that age where you become more concerned about your image or what people mm-hmm. think of you then mm-hmm. well in this case your own life <laughs> mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't help that terry is sort of full-fledged into that that age of image over actuality because there he is again his you know his denim jacket and we see his bedroom at some point it's covered in posters he has a very um specific image he is trying to protect and part of that is you know covering up what he's feeling uh, with the death of his mother. So this is what Glenn has to deal with. He's seeing his friend who is sort of, you know, this wants to be this tough heavy, heavy metal kid. And then his sister who goes from, as we see throughout the film, a kind of geeky, um, very close to her brother. They shared a love for um, rockets, rockets um, to being, you know, from Al to, to Alexandra the you know hang out with the oh god the the Lee cool sisters kids. these these uh, twits of teenage girls who are such stereotypes the two the but, two but sisters. perfect and you know wants to impress the cute boy and go shopping and have sleepovers so we see her having like flipped a switch and changed and we see Terry having flipped a switch and changed and and Glenn is is struggling with that because it's not who he is not yet. Because he's still just this sweet kid, and I think part of him, uh, you know, letting this go for so long and not pushing, you know, even harder to get in touch with his parents, even though he did try to call them, is, you know, trying to save face because he's at a point where he realizes that his image is going to be very important to him, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this is a really big theme here with the image, and pretty much everyone who's concerned with their image sucks in this mm-hmm. movie. Because mm-hmm. all those friends and that guy, oh god, that guy she likes is the biggest douchebag. He but is. I'll get to, we'll get to that 
a little bit later. <laughs> so actually, you know, in, in leading to that, let's talk about Ingus the dog, who is absolutely adorable, and I want to hug him. And protect him. It's He's like this, I don't even know if it's a specific breed. I would think some kind of schnauzer. Just really hairy, kind of orphan-looking dog. Reminded me, actually, of... Um, the Muppet dog from the Fraggles, the old man's dog. Yes, that's only like the, the live version. He's, he's very cute. Yes. And uh, Glenn describes his age in human years, I think, in 97. So um, we're looking at an, a large dog, older, probably around 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, as the parents are leaving, it's all make sure Angus gets his pills so we know his health isn't great, which isn't, you know. It's a little foreboding. Um, so if you've checked does the dog die.com, um, spoiler alert, the, the dog does die. Um, in a very, very strange way if you like to go into that, Jax. So they're having a sleepover after the party. The sisters having her twit friends stay over and Terry is staying over. Terry wakes up in the middle of the night and goes downstairs and there's an angel. Well, no, it's his mother. And he, you know, he, he's starting to break a little bit from that hard exterior that he's trying to put up. Mm -hmm. And he goes to give her a hug. And all of a sudden, that's not his mother. That's the dog, but the dog is dead. So we don't really know if uh, Angus died naturally or unnaturally. We just see, you know, Terry, who you really feel for at this point, because yes, he's a little shit, but we're now seeing him, you know, really trying to cope with his mother's death, and he sees her standing there, so he goes to hug her, and suddenly reality kicks in, and he's holding this dog up, and you know, obviously he lets him go, and Angus falls to the floor, and Angus is unfortunately uh, dead at this point, and, and we don't know if that was a natural death or if it had something to do with, you know, Terry himself. Did Terry accidentally kill the dog? We don't know, um, but it just, it's really a hard moment, both for Terry, because he thought he saw his mom, and then for Glenn and uh, his sister, because this dog they had, um, given his age is mentioned, you would assume basically all of Glenn's life mm -hmm. um, is gone and their parents aren't home. Right. So Glenn again wants to call his parents, you know, which is the natural thing to do, but his sister is like, no, we'll take care of it. And she lets this asshole that she has a crush on take care of it. So what does he do? He's supposed, supposed to take it over to the vet's clinic. I think it was. Mm -hmm. Or animal control, something like that. Oh no, they're close. What do I do with this dog? Let's go back to the house. Oh, she's gone. Well, yes, because I saw her leave to go with her friends somewhere when I left with the dog. Oh, and just one one note here. Uh, Terry and Glenn did fill in the hole in the backyard. Mm -hmm. They did fill in the hole, but during the night, I believe, uh, with all the freakiness with the moss and then the dog dying, the hole opened itself back up, so they ended up dragging wood over it. Yeah. Uh, part there, there was a tree house in the tree originally. Yes. And when they cleared away the tree, the, no one cleared away the tree house because why would they? Of so, course. They, so the part of the tree house that had the door with the little gate on it was draped over the hole. So boy, not, not, not too, you know, heavy with the symbolism there or anything. No. So Lever Boy decides he's going to put the dog in the hole. Because I like this girl. I'm going to put her dog in a hole in her backyard that's obviously been dug up and refilled before. 
So why would I think that maybe they might have to dig it up again? Yeah, you know, honestly, like she won't notice this gaping hole in her backyard with a slab of wood over it. I'm just going to dump her dead dog down there. What the fuck, man? Though, to be fair, they do take a look at the hole, and it looks pretty neatly packed. So I have a mm -hmm. feeling Leverboy did a better job of filling the hole and packing the dirt than the boys did. Well, I mean, I don't think they'd ever, um, they'd ever be able to fill it in properly. I would guess that given this, it would just keep popping right back open. True, but it looked, it looked well done. A bit too well done for those two kids. Mm -hmm. So, everyone comes back. Leverboy, the girl decides not to. Leverboy, he put the dog in the hole, then he left. Mm -hmm. And later on, he comes driving around to meet with the girls. But his hands are in still a, dirty, because he can't wash. In a Trans Am, by the way, the most 80s of cars. And I have to say, I absolutely love Trans Am, so. But not this one, because it has bad stuff inside. <laughs> yeah, like that asshole kid driving it. Yeah, who, who can't wash his hands after burying the dog dog. Mm -hmm. So, gross. So, yeah. um, through all of this now, uh, Terry, who is our little, you know, baby metalhead, he has this album at home, right, this, this record. And he's listening to it, and he's reading the, the, the paper, um, the album insert. And he's like, holy shit. And he brings it over to Glenn saying, this is what's happening. Um, there's this band. And I, I love the, the lore on this because it's so, I don't know, it's like just detailed enough without being too much, but at the same time, not so um, – vague as a lot of stuff in the 80s is like oh here's this book that opens hell let's read it they don't say why it opens hell or who wrote it uh, but in this case we we do get that backing mythos to it where okay there was this heavy metal band and they made this album and they used this creepy ass book that they found called the dark book and they used that to to uh take their lyrics from and the whole thing is about summoning uh, a demon um, and then the whole band dies in a plane crash, and then Terry is playing the record backwards for Glenn, and, and, and it's, if you play it forwards, it tells you how to open the gate. If you play it backwards, it tells you how to close it. Which I just love that whole, let's play it backwards scene, because I immediately that, thought of the thing from the 80s where if you play their songs backwards, then, you know, the open, you know, it's demonic. <laughs> uh-huh, the secret message, and that is, oh, the whole thing is so 80s, I love it, because... This movie came out in 1987, right? Well, mm -hmm. in 1985 in the U.S., uh, we had what was called the Parents Music Resource Center, um, headed by these, this group of women, including Tipper Gore, that they called the Washington Wives. And their problem was saying that music had too much sex, too much violence, too much references to the occult, and this is all bad. And they made this list of the Filthy 15, like these really bad albums and songs. And on this list were bands like Judas Priest, Mountain Crew, ACDC, Twisted Sister, Venom, Def Leppard, Black Sabbath. So this plays right into that. And it, it's... I love how it plays into like what is actually a fear then. I mean, nowadays we get, Oh, the video games are too violent and they're making our kids violent. And well, back then it was like, Oh no, the heavy metal, the heavy metal is going to make them all devil worshipers. And before um, that was rock and roll. And before that it was probably sticks or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I mean, you can, first it was like, Oh no, no, you know, they're reading too much. It's bad for their brains, but no. So the eighties, right. It's all about, you know, heavy metal is bad for kids. It's all devil music. Um, and you would think that this is, you know, 
like small town Midwest preacher bullshit, but it's not. It's happening in the in the country in Washington D.C. They form this group to like sort of monitor stuff, and that's where we get our um our parental advisory stickers. So this plays so well into that mm-hmm. because we have again this heavy metal album, and yeah, this is gonna you know summon a demon to take over the world. <sighs> yes, and so. And, of course, and Glenn finally shows a little bit of um, weariness going, he doesn't quite, he's like, he's questioning Terry, mm-hmm. which is one of the first times he does this. And that's a very grown-up thing for Glenn to do because we've seen Glenn as still kind of in this childhood just seeing, um, you know, a birthday kiff that he had prepared for his sister and he'd drawn a little picture on it. You know, very, very cute. Yeah. And so he's, he's showing that line. Yeah, he's, he's trying he's to being forced to grow up very rapidly here, which this movie does it a little bit gentler than Disney does by killing all the parents. But yeah, unless you're Terry. Um, <laughs> what I do, and and playing right into that, what I really liked about this, and I think this is part of the reason it actually scared me so much when things like A Nightmare on Elm Street didn't, is that it very much plays into childhood fears the loss of a parent or in Glenn's case, your parents being unreachable. We see actual monsters under the bed, monsters in the closet, the death of a family dog. Um, my dog just looked at me. <laughs> um, a disconnect between siblings who had been very close, but now one is growing up and moving on and leaving the other behind. So it, it's, this is all stuff that is going to scare a kid. I mean, you have these eighties movies and, you know, seventies movies that are all like, you know, uh, Randy Meeks rules, don't have sex, don't drink. That's not going to really target, um, in my case, uh, let's see, this is, what, 87? Um, a five-year-old. You know, that's not going to resonate with me. But this, not being able to get to my parents, a monster under the bed, in the closet, my dog dying, my my siblings leaving me behind, that's going to resonate with me more than, you know, don't drink or, you know, party kind of stuff right it's because with teenagers it the teenagers what was going on with the horror movies at that time mm-hmm. was trying to be cautionary tales where this one was more into your fears so teenagers mm-hmm. said don't do this or this bad thing will happen to the younger kids it was this could happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what i liked about it also is we see the teenage sister reacting to these things as well like she doesn't want to call the parents doesn't want to call the parents but this one um really creepy scene with these doppelgangers of their parents creepy as hell and i did actually um jacks while you were watching this you're like oh that's creepy and i'm like is it the you'll be you were bad moment and yeah um that uh, freaked her out as well because it doesn't matter how old you are you know this this idea of your parents not being there or being unreachable or in this case, being, you know, evil is a problem. So it, uh, she reacted to many of these things the same way that Glenn did. So even though she's older, it's still universal, but it really heavily plays to an audience who is younger because you're going to be frightened by this because these are the things that you're already afraid of. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I swear I must have made it a point to sleep with my closet door closed until I was like, I don't know, possibly in my 20s. <laughs> uh, 
I don't remember ever if I did or did not have porn movies on little, but it was just there's just ones that you have that the ones that always get to me are not the ones like the Jason Surface notes, the ones that mm-hmm. psychological ones where it plays these mind games with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I would call this one a bit psychological, even though we're talking about demons and shit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah and and you know obviously the films that we watch are going to have an effect on us and i saw like a nightmare on elm street very young i love the freddy movies i was five years old and i was certain that freddy krueger lived behind the hot water heater in our basement and i was fine with that i went down to do my laundry no problem it didn't bother me but the idea um it, one uh, uh one thing that happens in this film is like i mentioned terry being a little shit and he's making up stories to scare glenn and he says that during the construction of glenn's home a construction worker was killed and rather than report the death the other workers just sealed his body into a wall and then this body comes out later you know uh, sort of the demons playing on this story you know messing with their heads a psychological fear and all that that scared me and i remember being a kid and like bumping you know, trying to sleep and I hit the wall with my elbow and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to make it come out. Um, that, that scared me. And it, was, it wasn't a true story. It was something that Terry made up, but it had enough of an effect on Glenn and then later me just watching it. So I think that was really well done. I remember, because I did some extra research and one of the things I did was read a bunch of trivia and one of them was mm-hmm. the person who wrote this when he wrote the story, he was actually someone who was going through divorce and he wanted to write this about a bunch of the fears he had as a child. So mm-hmm. these were his actual fears he was sharing with us. Well, there you go. And that's why it, and I mean, these are universal fe- fears on top of that. We all know, you know, you don't sleep with your foot hanging over the edge of the bed, that kind of thing. So these are things that we all experience. And we're actually going to take a break <laughs> real quick for a message from, um, Something I'll figure out. You'll see here in a second. I have to go to the door. I will be back. Okie dokie. Do you like books? Do you not have as much time to read these books as you used to? Are you always on the go and in between driving here, exercising there, and listening to quality podcasts such as this one? Do you just not have the time? Well, I have the great thing for you. Audible, an Amazon company, is offering all of our listeners here at Saturday Morning Pajamas a free 30-day trial of their service. What does this trial give you? Well, a free audiobook of your choosing, as well as discounts on additional books like the service keep it going for as low as $14.95 per month and you will continue to receive a free audiobook every month along with those discounts not too happy with the service you're free to cancel at any time and keep any books you've received for free or purchase during the time of your membership or free trial please head over to audibletrial.com smp or you can find a direct link at the blog post on nonoms.net and we're back sorry about that uh some kids were selling candy totally not like just a box at bought walmart or anything instead of like for actual school fundraising but you'll be proud to know i did not buy any Woo, no candy because there's candy in the house but still i didn't <laughs> buy any more <laughs> <sighs> okay so back to the movie <laughs> all right so we come to this point in the film that you see in, in a lot of horror movies where basically we think the evil is gone um there's some bible reading uh terry falls in the hole but we get him out um and then we have uh glenn his sister and terry returning to the house where uh the twit sisters were hiding in the closet with garlic around their necks because you know that helps um and this is also a, a turning point for for al the older sister because she 
you know, they think that the scary is gone now. Everything's okay. Um, and what happens, but, uh, the asshole in the Trans Am shows up with some of his asshole friends and, you know, the, the twit sisters are just like, yay, it's over. Let's go have fun. And Al is just not having it. And, and she tells Maul to just get the hell out, which, you know, is, is interesting considering she's only supposed to be like 15. Yeah. That she would, she would make this choice of, you know our family over, you know, a social life, but given what she had gone through, I mean, it seems the right thing that she should have done. Yeah. And all um, the twist so, sisters did was ever boss her around and not listen to her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think she was starting to real getting sick of that shit too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we think everything is over now as if you were, we know it ain't over. Um, you know, the sun is coming up soon. So let's all try and get some sleep. Um, and of course, you know, let's separate into our into our own rooms. Al goes to hers, Glenn and Terry go into his, and before anyone can so much as bat an eye, um, the story of this creepy construction worker uh, comes to life and literally bursts through the wall and and takes Terry. Like no warning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what we have, what we learned um, from from the dark book and and the lyrics of of this metal band is that in order for the gate to be completely open and for this demon god to rise there need to be two human sacrifices first there was the bloodletting um when glenn got a a no no yeah when the, he was getting the geode and glenn uh accidentally uh, cut his finger yeah so he bled and then uh there was a sacrifice that did not have to be human ingus Right, the asshole throwing the poor dog into the hole. Mm-hmm. And now we have our human sacrifices, and Terry gets taken first. And then this is, you know, another play into that childhood fear where they're going to get their father's gun um, to, to combat this, this creepy construction worker who was going after Al as well. Um, and so they're in the closet, and what do they find? They right. find the, the demon version of Terry. Oh, right, right. The- Weird, creepy ass Terry. That was messed up, and he's he's biting Glenn in the hand, and I love Al's weapon of choice. This was very inventive. Mm-hmm. Barbie doll, whack mm-hmm. whack whack, <laughs> right through the eye. That was good. Um, the movie isn't terribly gory. This is probably like the squicky, well, second squickiest moment. Yeah. So it was it was pretty gross, but it was it was cool. Um, and then we have these little demon fuckers, like little demon critter type things. Um, these I, I always found very creepy. They, they'd come up once before uh, when they were going outside uh, to check the hole and to read the Bible to it, like running around on the floor. And they come in again, and they're like coming into the house, and they're coming after Al. Basically, anytime. Uh, one of the, the, the creatures, like the large scale, like this construction worker, um, gets injured or breaks down into small pieces, it turns into these little critter guys. Um, they're, they're tiny little demons, and they bite, and, and they're just like they were going after Al. Um, I always thought they were just a little bit too real, and I didn't find out until years and years later, um, coming across just this like cache of uh, photos behind the scenes from a bunch of different horror movies. Um, they look... You would you would think it's, it's like a very Harryhausen um, 
claymation type monster that you would see in, you know, Clash of the Titans and that kind of thing. But while there is some um, stop motion done uh, for the effects in this, they also had oversized sets with full-size men in costumes. Mm -hmm. And that makes their movements just a little too real. And that adds to the creepiness of it. Because... Mm -hmm. There's these forced perspective as well, kind of like mm -hmm. in Lord of the Rings, what they did, mm -hmm. just to give you that more creepiness because they're on the same, they're there together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and because you know what a stop motion figure looks like when it's moving, it's a little bit stilted, it's a little bit jerky. It's still good. I mean, it's still you know miles beyond even some of the CGI they do lately. Um, but you can tell the difference, even if you don't realize it. It's that whole uncanny valley thing. Um, you can tell that it's not quite what you're, not quite right, not quite what you're expecting. And they were just a little too realistic. And it didn't, I didn't find this out until year, like I said, years later. And I think that really uh, played to the strength of the film is to um, freak you out without you knowing why. Yeah, just, it, it's kind of like they did a really good job setting the ambience for this movie. Yes, music, yes. Uh, the music at the beginning was really great to set the mood and the lighting. And then just the way they did the little mini demons, mm -hmm. the special effects and how they recorded them, filmed them, I mean, it just all added to that effect for that um, ambience to get you in the right mood mm -hmm. to appreciate the movie. Mm -hmm. So as we know, I mean, it, we can tell from the start that Glenn is going to be our protagonist. So Terry gets taken his sister gets taken as well. So we see Glenn alone and the rising of this, you know, like I said, kind of Lovecraftian demon God in the center of his home. I mean, the blowing out the floor, the walls are caving in, the stairs are falling apart and there's just this kid. And there's this moment where this creature like picks him up, grabs him by the hand and he's just holding him there. And you're like, Oh shit. Even the, even the good kid is going to get taken because I mean, some horror movies do end, you know, without, without the good guys winning. It happens. Yeah. Um, but instead, he ends up dropping him to the ground. And then we see on his palm, there is this eyeball. And you kind of get the idea that this creature isn't going to kill him because it's basically saying, you did this. You raised me. You know, you let your friend and your sister get taken. This is all on you. This is your fault. So I'm not going to kill you right now. Yes. But I'm going to watch you. And this is my gift to you, this eyeball. But I'm also going to watch you kind of thing. Which in hindsight, yes, let's leave the one person who might be able to try and kill me behind. The one person who knows about me. But at the same time, it's like, he's just a kid. Why would you, you know, be concerned? Right. Um, so when Terry is, you know, earlier when he's talking about how to get rid of the, the, the demon god thing once it's raised, he did mention that it had to be uh, coming from a, you know, like a pure spirit coming from a place of love. And the things that we saw earlier that, you know, kind of reinforce that Glenn is innocent, that Glenn is still kind of a child, um, you know, the, the picture he drew for his sister on her birthday gift. And then we see there is this special rocket. What was it called? Um, I can't I've yeah, I'm, um, but yeah. It was one that held a special spot in the hearts between Al and mm -hmm. Glenn. And we see um, 
we see uh, a note with that as well, that it was like from Al to Glenn. And mm -hmm. then we have this uh, gift that Glenn had for Al, which was actually an automatic rocket launcher. So he wouldn't need um, a match, which wasn't working. This becomes his weapon because this is a gift of love from one sibling to another. So even though it probably, you know, if it was just a um, rocket that he'd bought at the store for himself, it may not have worked. But because it was coming from a place of love, and you can see that this kid is torn up, that he lost his sister and his friend, and even though, you know, it's going to cause injury to himself, he jams, and this is the other squicky moment, he jams a piece of glass into his hand to, to uh, sort of kill the eyeball in his hand. Yeah. Um, he takes that risk, not only to stop it, but to try and save them, and he shoots his rocket off, and it hits the creature in the chest, and boom. And it had to be like a burst of light as well. Something about light. And mm -hmm. down goes the creature. Mm -hmm. Everything is fine. Everything's the world saved. The sky undarkens. It makes you wonder what the neighbors were thinking that there was like this whirlwind in the sky, but no it's one's probably, outside. Right, right. It's probably going to be that old horror movie thing where no one else notices. I mean, you see this on Buffy a lot, like all yeah. the repressing. <laughs> her mother represses everything and and so like they didn't notice and, and we end seeing glenn um and his sister and terry and the dog came back through the closet i was so happy to see that the dog's back terry's back glenn's uh al's back everything's good sitting on the porch but what i really liked is the house is still a freaking mess there's this giant hole in the floor you know the walls are caved in the stairs are falling apart it didn't go back to the way it was before, like it happened so many times where we can yeah, write yeah. this off. So mom and dad are going to come home and be like, what the hell? So, you know, oh, mom, it was swamp gas reflecting the lights of Venus, you know? Yes. Um, so they're going to have to, you know, explain kind of what happened here because their parents are never going to believe it. But I like that because it shows a real world consequence and we can't be like, oh, it was all a dream or it was all in your head. This really happened. Right. And it's not something... This didn't happen because Al threw a party. This happened because you summoned a demon. Mm -hmm, and you didn't mm -hmm. know that's what happened without your intent. And there's mm -hmm. consequences to that, mm -hmm. whether you want it or not. Mm -hmm. So um, overall, I'd say, I mean, I really enjoyed it, especially watching it as an adult to see all the, like, the little nuances to it. Um, it is, unfortunately, I mean, it was, it was made in 1987, so it's a little bit dated. Um, Making this movie now would be a little difficult, well, unless you want to focus on, like, a hipster kid, because we don't really use records and record players. Right. So, like, so, oh, yeah, I'm going to play this MP3 backwards and see what it says. You know, it, it doesn't quite have the, it doesn't quite have the same sort of mystique to it. Right. Though I remember, like, back in the 90s, Windows computers came with a little sound recorder uh, play waves and stuff and you could there's a button a feature to slow it down speed up or to play it backwards mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but still it, it doesn't have that same Feel. like i said the same mystique to it that you get from just like yeah running because it, in the 80s you had all these urban legends about what would happen you know secret messages subliminal messages in the music and playing it backwards could reveal them mm -hmm. like the whole um Beatles hoax, Paul is dead if you play the album backward kind of thing. Right. Um, so that doesn't translate well to, I think, a modern audience. Um, and then the magic slate as well. I mean, 
it would probably show up on an iPad or something. Yeah, I, I knew what it was, but I couldn't remember the name. And I remember having them as a kid, but I don't think I've seen one in at least 15 years. A good 15 years of that, mm-hmm. yeah. But then the odd part, though, is that there was a remake that was in production. Mm-hmm. It was set for release in 2011. Uh, and that was going to be my Alex Winter, a.k.a. Bill S. Preston Esquire. Yes. Um, so, yeah, in 2011, this was sort of announced a 3D remake. And I don't know, if anyone um, was going to do this, I kind of trust Alex Winter because he's done a lot of documentaries and uh, music videos. Um, he has his own roots in horror because he played Marco the Vampire in The Lost Boys. Um H.R. Geiger was attached. If you are not familiar with him, uh, he actually designed the xenomorph creature from the Alien and Aliens films. Um, so he created some concept art. They had everything. They had a script. They had their their concept images. Um, it just never got off the ground. And in reading more on it, I think part of the issue is that Alex Winter wanted this as a PG-13 movie an introduction to horror for kids kind of thing. The problem with that, I don't think PG-13 movies do as well lately, mostly because we have such ridiculous nannying parents. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not going to name any names here, but, like, I know kids who are almost, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old who haven't even seen, like, um, The Addams Family yet. But then you have the other end of the spectrum where I know kids who are watching Rob Zombie's Halloween and one of them was like seven or eight and the older one was like a couple years older, I think. See, see, that was me, though, in the 80s when I'm sitting there at, you know, five years old watching Salem's Lot with my mother and, you know, laughing when you see the head vampire. Like, haha, he's your boyfriend, you know. These, um, yeah, on these children, they, they may be family um, <laughs> that I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm like, what are you kids watching? But generally, we have a very, very nannying, watered-down culture for kids now. Mm-hmm. And I, I had made a comment, actually, just yesterday that I wish there had been more content when I was younger, like the Hotel Transylvania films and Paranorman and Monster yeah. House um, and, like, the Monster High Dolls, because these are things that, you know, my weird little black heart would have adored. Right. But at the same time... I think my affection for horror films now stems greatly from being exposed to them when I was younger. And also um, I didn't have as many fears, I think of the creepy supernatural things because I was exposed to it when I was younger. I mean, I was writing my own horror stories when I was nine years old. And, you know, I think a lot of that stems from that, but PG 13 films are just not making it. It's like, we either want super family friendly rated G or we want, you know, almost, you know, rated R, but almost NC-17, full of full of uh, sex and violence and blood and boobs. And there's no in-between. And I think we really need to fill that gap so we can have kids who will grow up to appreciate these films. Um, right. Well, it used to be G was for little children. General audiences. PG was if you're, you're a little bit older, for the kids and your parents come along. Mm-hmm. They created PG-13 to be for those kids who were 13 to 17 to kind of in between. And then Mm -hmm. R was for the adults. But now at the same, yeah, at the same time, here's me at 11 years old and my sister is sneaking me in to see Jason goes to hell. So the guidelines weren't as followed (laughs) back then. I think they're a lot stricter with it now. Yeah. 
with well no considering all the children i saw at a few r-rated movies in the past year yeah okay let me interrupt here parents what the fuck are you taking your children to see deadpool for thank you seriously what the hell this is not a movie for them and i think if you are stupid enough to bring your kids it is not a movie for you either go away shoot yes shoot shoot and then and i've seen better behaved children and parents when i went to see disney's coco then when I went to see Deadpool or when I saw, oh, I can't remember the other R-rated movies I've seen lately because it's been a while, but when I saw anything that was, Logan, why are the mm-hmm. children, Logan, this is not for them. Mm-hmm. You need to, you know, it's not like, you know, there's not internet sites to look at. It's not like there's not the information available. Mm-hmm. You need to pay attention. And I don't care, like, okay, they're a baby. They need to be home sleeping. Those loud noises are not good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got off track here. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but I, again, I think media content for kids is so nannied now. I mean, you can't even see a cartoon where someone falls off a cliff anymore. It just doesn't happen. There was um, a YouTube video I saw where mm-hmm. it was like the top 10 scariest moments for kids or something. And this was stuff that was just so mild. I mean, it was just, it was really mild. Like someone might see like a, tree wrestling or something and mm-hmm. i can't think of this because it was just so mild and i was just like okay you are babying your children too much because they kids have to learn some skills like how to assess like which a real danger how to assess you know when to go to an adult how to assess mm-hmm. you know when the devil is coming to kill you you need to learn <laughs> these and well and i i think kids can take a certain amount um like, I think this movie, I mean, yeah, maybe it'd give you a couple sleepless nights, but I think a kid can take it. Um, I go to horror conventions, you know, as much as I possibly can. And there are always a few kids running around, some of them even dressed up. And these are things that they wanted to do, not just that their parents did. Um, so there are kids you can take it. I mean, it's really a judgment call down to, like, you knowing your kid. But I think... You know, I'm not big on remakes, but I would have trusted and liked to see a remake of this by Alex Winter. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, an extra uh, new installment in the Bill and Ted series was announced the same year, and we're still waiting on that, too. So I'd like to see that first. Yes, please. And make um, it good, please. Of course. <laughs> um, the film is not perfect. There are a couple little things um like i said some of it is a little dated another thing is we've kind of evolved as a culture in terms of the words and phrases that we used in this one there happened to be a use of uh, what some term the r word retarded um i'm not as as manic about it as some people are but i think it is very distasteful and something that we can really move past and then there were a couple gay slurs as well which about those they were almost i think all of them were directed at glenn by the sister's older friends, which is like, I don't want to say double poor taste, but like, you're saying this to a young kid, Mm -hmm. and you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be the older, you're supposed to be mature. Mm -hmm. And I can, I can totally see the friends of an older sibling, you know, ripping on a younger kid like this. But again, this wasn't as big of an issue then, whereas now we're much more into policing our language and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. There are certain words that will never evolve away from their original meaning. Mm-hmm. So we can ditch them. Let's not use them. Um, so, I mean, but at the same time, um, several years ago, there was a release of old uh, Warner Brothers cartoons 
um, and they put a note with the DVD set and they put a note in the front of it basically saying these cartoons are a product of their time there are scenes and language that is you know very to our modern view um, very outdated and offensive but rather than sanitize this we'd rather learn from it and not change the original which i think was i think was a good choice mm -hmm. um a product of its time so in this case um it, well in that case the warner brothers it was you know a lot of kind of racist shit in there um in this case you know we have a couple gay slurs the use of a word that people don't uh that we really don't need to be using anymore um i think stripping them out would be stupid um it's like watching when they put Casino on, like, TNT, and they're like, forget you. We know what they're saying. Yeah. Why change it? I mean, these aren't presented in a positive light. I mean, it's not like, yay, you said the thing. No, it's like you can tell this is coming from an asshole. Right. Well, unfortunately, they're sanitizing history um, when they mm -hmm. do that. And because you want to learn from it, like, learn mm -hmm. where that's wrong. Um, this is probably going to set you off. But it's like the uh, Texas school books changing the passage about the Indians' trail or Native Americans' sorry trail of tears to say that they left willingly. Instead oh my God! Forced. Oh my! <laughs> oh Texas! I mean, you, you have some good people there, but I don't know what the hell you're doing sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's <sighs> just like you need to not sanitize it because. It's like the whole thing about Christopher Columbus where, you know, he just, oh, you, you know, cool. that is a good point, right? So I am 30 years old. Um, I recently was learning, uh, uh, I was taking a Spanish class, like learning the language. And part of that was to learn the history of a lot of Spanish speaking countries. And Columbus obviously came up. Now I always learned, okay, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, blah, 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 blah. Um, well and good. He was such a dick. I mean, like a sadistic bastard, the way he treated the indigenous people that even the other colonists were like, dude, that's too far. And they put him in jail. And I had no idea about any of this. And we have like a friggin' day dedicated to him. And I'm like, oh my God, why aren't they teaching this? Why aren't we stopping this? Right. There's, um, a comic by the oatmeal that I'd seen some years ago. And it just has me always look like remembering it because it talks about like, you know, all this atrocities that Columbus was responsible for mm -hmm. and just like how people were killed and raped and murdered, mm -hmm. well, killed and murdered, I guess. Anyways. Um, but then there's well, someone else who was like a much better representation. Um, and by the way, Columbus basically created the African slave trade or he's responsible for it. Just FYI. Um, just because well, he, and he was like an absolute sadist too. I mean, aside from all the political bullshit mm -hmm. uh, of which there is much, he was just horrible to these people. Right. Um, like personally doing terrible things. And I knew none of this until like last year. And when I talk about it with people, they're like, what? I never heard that. And yeah, you have to go like, I believe the Omeo got some of his information from that book lies. My teacher taught me and other mm -hmm something or other, I forget the exact name, I'll link to the comic and the information in the blog post mm -hmm. about the podcast today. Uh, but, yeah, just all these things that you never get taught, because in elementary school, you're taught, okay, Columbus sailed here. Then you get to, like, college, high school, college, and you start to learn a little bit more about the actual mm -hmm. voyage, but you never quite learn the truth, because people don't want to omit the truth. They don't mm -hmm. want to 
we have a big problem wanting to admit when we've done wrong. And I was like, own mm-hmm. your shit, learn from it, and move on. Mm-hmm. And this has gotten way off topic now. But... We were talking about a horror movie from the 80s, weren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, so back to the movie. They yeah. did make a sequel in 1990 with the same actor who played Terry in this one, but it is utter shit, and I would not recommend viewing it. I was a little excited to find it about 10 years ago, and then I watched it, and I said, well, there is a couple hours of my life I will never get back. It, it's really not worth it. And I, I know um, the, movie, the movie did well enough that I could see why they would want to do a sequel, but they didn't have the original writer. And then they didn't have Glenn, which you would think would be you know important. But by then, Stephen Dorff had kind of moved on to other things. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gate was his first major film appearance, Baby Stephen Dorff. He goes on to a very successful adult film and TV career um, in the 90s. He guested on... Roseanne and Married with Children and Blossom. He made appearances in more um, horror-related, well, other films as well, but I focus on the horror kind of thing. So, uh, Fear.com, Cold Creek Manor, and of course, Blade. as um, a, an amazing example of what we like to call the, the sexy evil, um, which is when a character is both un, unrepentantly evil and absolutely sexy as hell uh deacon frost and blade um if you haven't seen this go see it probably one of the most attractive vampires uh put to film i would say if anyone brings up anything involving twilight you are in trouble honest to god let's not even um so he's moved on to other things then we see this um i don't know if it's louis or lewis um i always want to say louis because of anne rice uh trip who played terry who basically does the gate two and then nothing else yeah um krista denton who played the sister al she had some guests on growing pains and silver spoons but nothing much beyond that and weirdly we see more from the the twits uh the lee sisters um i don't remember which is which but one kelly rowan um was on the oc as kirsten and then Jennifer Irwin was on Eastbound and Down and most recently on The Goldbergs. I recognize her from Are You of the Dark? But yeah, she's on The Goldbergs right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, I mean, that's kind of everything. Yeah. It's, it's a decent movie. I, I would recommend seeing it. I can absolutely understand why it scared me as a kid. Um, so, yeah, what do you think, Jax? I think it was a good movie. It- I definitely didn't feel like it was a waste of time like some other movies did. Uh, it was mm-hmm. quite entertaining. The first part, I'm like sitting there going, why is she scared of this? Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> this is creepy. <laughs> um, and just because of where I'm at in life, I'm like, okay, this is creepy. This isn't nightmare material. But again, this was made to give the kids nightmares. But it still seems like it'd be enjoyable to an adult, uh, to a parent who's just willing to let the movie be what it is a bad mm-hmm. not, not bad bad but bad 80s horror movie you know? <laughs> so if you would need. true sometimes the bad is good yes a lot of times the bad is bad but sometimes the bad is good um if you would like to see some more um sort of kid focused horror movies uh from this era obviously the monster squad from 1987 Wolfman's Gotten Arts. Um, I would recommend also the It miniseries from 1990. Um, the cast of children in that um, is absolutely stellar. Um, I don't think 
the new one lives up to it at all, but that's just me. Um, oh, probably uh, Lady in White, the 88 one. There's a couple films with that, with that title, but you want to look for the one with the grandma from Who's the Boss. Um, again, we have a very young uh, protagonist, and it's, it's really quite creepy. Um, and then uh, if you want to see the kid as the bad guy, I would go for either Bloody Birthday or any iteration of the bad seed. Wasn't there something called The Watcher or Watcher's Woods or something like that? Oh, yes, The Watchers. That is a Corey Haim film based on a Dean Koontz novel. I think it may be out of print, but I did get a nice bootleg a few years ago. I think I actually saw that recently at the store. Oh, good. I can toss the bootleg and get a new one then. Well, if it's it's The Watcher, correct? Uh, no, the, I think it? it's just called Watchers. Okay, let's see here. With Corey Haim and Michael Ironside, who you may remember from Prom Night 2. Hello, Mary Lou. Okay, I was thinking, because there was a couple of them that were very similar. So around that time. Um, what we'll do is we'll figure out what these right, the right ones are, and I'll have them linked as well on the blog post. Yeah, okay, so the Corey Haim one is 88. It's Watchers, which also features a dog. Um, and then, honestly, um, you you can't go wrong with the Lost Boys, which, again, we have this sort of ragtab group of kids with both Corey's, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. Yeah. And Alex Winter. <laughs> of course. And, um, oh, uh, uh, Keith or Sutherland. And Jason Patrick. Yes. So There's, there's a lot of people on that one. Yes. All right, well. Overall, I would say, you know, definitely a good movie and should check out uh, The Gate. Um, and, you know, if you do, leave a comment, send a tweet, let us know what you think. Oh, uh, yes, please. We, we'd love to know if, if it scared you because it did scare my little self. And, hey, if you have a kid around and you think they're up for it, go ahead. Let them watch it. Let us know what they think. Mm -hmm. Let us know how many nightmares they got. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. All right, so we're going to take off for now. Uh, please stand by for a couple last-minute messages. Um, and any final words for you? Uh, yes, as always, this has been a blast. And please check out my site, uh, bloody-mess.net, uh, where horror and geekery meet and kind of go make out in the corner a little. Okay, until next time. I'd like to thank you all for tuning into Saturday Morning Pajamas today. It's been a pleasure. Remember, if you like this podcast even just a little bit, why not consider becoming a patron? More details may be found at our tip jar on nonoms.net. Speaking of nonoms.net, that is our website, and more information about this episode and everything SMP may be found at the link. Don't know where our website is? It's www.nonoms.net. We look forward to your comments, constructive criticism, what have you, on the blog post. Want to connect with us another way? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram under at SMP underscore Jacks. We also have a YouTube channel where all episodes plus a few extras are available. I would like to finally personally thank all of our wonderful listeners on TuneIn, Stitcher, Popping Player, iTunes, Google Play Music, Spreaker, and everywhere else podcasts are available. You all are what makes creating this podcast worthwhile, and we won't be here if it wasn't for you. Till next time, be excellent to each other. <laughs>